How many of you have a New Year's goal for this year? At least one. Week, week, week. Are you lying? Are you lazy? Can't do you? I see one hand. Uh, Okay. Well, you're going to have four before you leave here this morning. That is the goal. You know, there are actually people who study New Year's resolutions. There are New Year's resolution researchers. Wouldn't that be a cool job? You work about two months a year, uh, (laughs) December and January. But they say the origins of New Year's resolutions actually began 4,000 years ago in Babylon. And the Babylonians would make resolutions so as to appease their gods. They were going to say, we're going to do this this year. We'll be better. Therefore, we'll appease our gods. Well, this morning, I'm going to challenge you and me to some bodybuilding resolutions. Now, how many of you know what bodybuilding is? As your hand, Mike, you know. Y'all, y'all are hand-challenged today, aren't you? Did you know I used to be a bodybuilder? I, I failed to see the humor in that, but... See, I'll say 10 other things this morning that are funny, and y'all just stare at me. The real guy behind those arms is Greg Valentina. His arms, with uh, a lot of weight lifting and some steroids, actually grew, actually grew to 28 inches. Can you imagine that? I mean, that is, uh, that's like carrying around two legs, isn't it? I mean, that guy, he was a bodybuilder. Well, this morning we're talking about spiritual bodybuilding and setting some goals to build your spirit and your soul and your relationship with Christ up so you will be the Greg Valentina of the spiritual world this time next year. And that's, that's what my, my big thought this morning is I want you to develop your spiritual body in 2012. I want you to develop your spiritual body this year. By the way, it will be up to you largely if you do or not. We are beginning, you saw a little promo before I got up to preach, a sermon series out of 1 Timothy uh, this morning. And actually, we're going to start in 1 Timothy 4. I know normal people start series in chapter 1, verse 1. But we're going to start in chapter 4 this, uh, this morning where it's talking about building up our, our spiritual bodies. 1 Timothy was, is a great letter. It's a part of three letters called the pastoral epistles. God wrote these through the apostle Paul. To, he wrote Titus to, obviously, a guy named Titus. And First and Second Timothy to Timothy, probably about 30 years or so after Jesus death and resurrection. Now, Paul was a mentor to Timothy. We believe that he probably led Timothy to Christ when Timothy was an, uh, maybe an older uh, boy or a young youth. And then when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he actually took Timothy along with him and he trained him and developed him. And now Timothy is the pastor at the church in Ephesus. We have a, uh, a kind of an ancient map there. But you see a couple of cities that are still very well known today. You see Rome over there in Italy and Thessalonica. That is modern-day Thessaloniki. Uh, many of us in our church going to mission trips to Macedonia have been there. And there is Ephesus. John Morgan used to play uh, soccer in Ephesus when he lived in uh, Asia or Turkey. And uh, Ephesus was where Timothy was pastoring at this time. Ephesus was a very interesting city. It was very affluent. Uh, it was very cosmopolitan. It was wealthy. And it was troubled. 
And it, they, they, uh, historians and theologians say there may have been as many as 50 different gods or goddesses that they worshiped there. So Timothy is, uh, man, he's having a tough time. It's a tough place. And, and we're going to jump in this letter today, right, where he begins to talk to him about, Timothy, this is what you need to do more than anything else so you will be strong spiritually. Okay? And then he's telling Timothy, this is what I want you to teach your people. These are the things that I want you to do to be strong spiritually. Now, it's interesting. He starts with two things not to do before he dives into what to do. Here's the first not to do. Don't get away from God's plain truths. Don't get away from the basic teachings of Scripture. I'm going to read, and you read along with me on the screen or in your Bible, verses 1 through 6. It says, the Spirit clearly teaches that in the latter times, some translations say the last days. Now, now folks, the last days was, is really a time period from Jesus' resurrection until he comes again. Okay, it's not 1990 to 2000 or 2000 to 2020 or whatever. It's, it's about a 2,000-year period now, the last days. And he says, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, that's pretty profound. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars. Don't you like how politically correct Paul was? hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything that God created is good. And that means chocolate pie and ice cream. Amen? Man, that's good. I'm going to tell Dr. Blackwater that the next time I see him. And it is to be received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out, if you point these things out, he doesn't say if you beat people over the head with them, if you kick them, if you try to stick your Bible down their throat with them, if you point it out, if you let people know, you will be a good minister of Christ, brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, okay. You read this and you say it's teaching by hypocritical liars and it's demonic. Now, that sounds like that would be pretty easy to spot, correct? I mean, if someone, if we had a guest preacher and they got up and they said, God is dead and Jesus Christ was a phony, we would all recognize there was a problem, correct? Hopefully, you would storm the front and we'd carry them out. We'd baptize them, right? We'd hold them under until they changed their mind. But this teaching was in the church, Paul was able to identify it as being false and being even demonic, but it was in the church. It was being taught in the church. False teaching does not normally come with horns and pitchforks because we would recognize that easily, wouldn't we? False teaching creeps in. It looks good. Sometimes it, whoo, boy, that's that. I've never heard that before. That's a new doctrine. There ain't no new doctrines. Boy, that's, a, that's something... That's something I've never heard in, in 50 years of reading the Bible. You know why you never heard it? Probably because it's not true. And one of the things they were teaching is that marriage was sinful, that you should not marriage. marry. Now listen, folks, God created marriage. Marriage may be difficult, but it's not sinful, amen? My wife said amen. You remember when the Da Vinci Code came out a few years ago? You remember that, the movie, the book? One of the things, you know, one of the things that bothers about it is the writer, Dan Browns, he, he basically, he said, this is fiction, but it's based on truth. 
So he kind of, ooh, you know, if he would have just said this is fiction, you might not have liked it. But when he says it's fiction based on truth, and one of the things he said was that Jesus Christ was married. Now, folks, Jesus wasn't married. The four gospel writers and the rest of the New Testament would not have missed that. That's just, you don't miss that, right? By the way, Mrs. Jesus, we forgot her. But even if Jesus would have been married, being married's not sinful. Now, I've said that before, and I had 15 men come up to me after church and say, Preacher, he couldn't have been married and remained sinless. <laughs> Probably so. So maybe that's why he didn't get married. But they were saying, hey, you shouldn't get married because that's sinful. That's evil wrong. And they were saying, oh, these certain kinds of foods. And they're pulling from the Old Testament. They're pulling, and they're twisting the Old Testament. They're misunderstanding the Old Testament. They're saying, you can't do these things. This is wrong, and if you want to be who you're supposed to be in Christ, you better not do these things. Let me give you a warning. Anything you read that's stricter than the Bible, get away from it. God drew up the boundaries, okay? They don't need to be any tighter than the Bible. Have you noticed sometimes the Bible's fairly tight, isn't it? Young people, would you agree? Sure. Anytime you read some new teaching, some new philosophy, and they figured out something that nobody for 2,000 years had figured out, and even if they're charismatic and they're making a ton of money selling books, you compare it to Scripture. And if it's not in line with Scripture, it's wrong. It's wrong. And you are not going to grow spiritually by diving into something that looks and sounds good, but that's not of God, okay? Here's the second thing he says. Don't chase spiritual rabbits. You know what a rabbit chaser is? It's somebody who gets off on the the peripheral or the silly things. In verse 7, in verse 7 it says, Have nothing to do with godless myths. Avoid, run away, get away from godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, women, he's not kicking you on the old wives' tales. What he's saying is godless myths were, were, were teachings and things that were just clearly not of God. And, and old wives' tales were, were probably things that were fine to, to tell your grandkid uh, before they went to bed about some interesting, you know, make-believe story. But if you're sitting in a Bible study class talking about that same story, uh, Dino the dinosaur, those things like that, Dino and Jesus and, and all, you know, how they got to... He's saying, no, don't fool you. Don't mess with that stuff. Don't chase after a wife's tales. That's not going to develop you spiritually. My first church, I'd been the pastor for about two months, and my deacon, we had one deacon. And deacon's meeting were really easy. <laughs> it's just me and him. And he was, he was a good guy, and we'd go visit. So we'd go visit this person that lived probably about 75 yards, maybe 50 to 75 from the church. And he told me, he said, before we, we go in, he said, they're kind of different. He said, they're members of the church. They never come. But let's see if we can get them to come to church. So we go visit them. I'll never forget this. This was 1986, and I still remember this. The lady had her Bible all spread out. She didn't know the preacher was coming. Uh, and had, had papers all spread out. And when we walked in, here's what she said. I have figured out the size of heaven. Here's how big heaven's going to be, preacher. And I thought, well, you know, that's great. I didn't know that. And, and, you know, and we spent 20 minutes with her telling us all this interesting, silly, trivial stuff. And in four years, I think she came to church once. Her kids were a wreck. Her marriage was a wreck. Her family was a wreck. 
You can chase after silly stuff, which is interesting, which you can debate, you can argue, but it's not going to develop you spiritually. How many of you are familiar with the Mayan calendar? You need to get familiar because it says December 22nd, we will not be here. The Mayan calendar based on the old Mayan people and their their, uh, contemplations and things, calculations, have said December 21st, 2012 is, is it. I mean, that's, that's the, we're gone, we're out of here. I get a lot of emails that only preachers get, and you can thank God when you get home you don't get these. And, 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 and this email was trying to sell me a book about this preacher who had been studying the Mayan calendar, and he'd been studying the Bible, and he was in agreement. He had figured out I could buy his book, and I could, he'd spend hours and months and years researching this, that December 21st, 2012 is going to be the end of, the, it's going to be it. I want to share with you something from the Bible. Matthew 24, 36. Will you read this aloud with me? Read it aloud. No one knows about the day or hour. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay, say this with me. Jesus didn't know. You don't know. Point at somebody. And I don't know. That's pretty good theology, isn't it? If, if Jesus comes back on December 21st, it, I promise you it has nothing to do with the Mayans or that preacher that figured that out. You see, that is trivia. That's interesting and fun, isn't it? You can spend hours chasing after that. It's tantalizing. And it, it, it doesn't require anything either, does it? I mean, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, to, to be different. You just play things in your mind. Don't chase after the trivia. Here's what God says. Exercise yourself into godliness. Train yourself to be like Christ. Here's where we get down to the nitty-gritty of it right now. Verse 7 and 8. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful verses. Have nothing to do with these godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Kyle, hold it on verse 7 just for a second, if you would. That word train, remember the New Testament was written in Greek. That word train was a, a Greek word that meant the gymnasium. Now, we live in a culture that's pretty obsessed with, uh, with, with physical beauty and, and exercise and the gymnasium. The Hellenistic Greek culture of, of Paul's day was just as much so. I mean, they were very much into working out. There were gymnasiums uh, probably in Ephesus all over the place. So they understood this. And Paul's telling me, he goes, look, don't chase after the new teachings, this stuff that sounds good. Don't play trivial pursuit with God. But if you want to be who God has called you to be, If you want to be the man or the woman God's called you to be, you must exercise yourself. You must get in the gymnasium spiritually and train yourself to be godly. The word godly there is a great word. It doesn't mean that you'll know more. It means you'll be different. Did you get that? You see, God doesn't want you to simply know more. People who know more and aren't different are obnoxious. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 8, it says knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. The word godly means it affects your demeanor. You smile. You look different. It affects your behavior. You do different. You see, the whole goal is that if you're not a Christian this morning, you become a Christian. And if you are a Christian, that you spend the rest of your life, starting today, if you're not on this track, exercising yourself to be a godly man or woman. Okay? Look in verse 8. Verse eight's great what it says. Physical training is of some value. 
But godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Can I leave that there for just a second? Now, Paul's not, he's not hitting on physical training. He's not saying it's wrong. But he says it's limited, okay? One, when you die and you go to heaven or hell, they're not going to check your aerobics, okay? Or your blood pressure. My guess in hell, your blood pressure is very high for eternity, okay? Trying to be funny, but a hell joke sometimes is not funny. Physical training is is great. But listen, you can be in great physical shape and you can be a complete jerk, correct? You can be in great physical shape and you can be a horrible husband. You can be a horrible wife. You can be a horrible young person. And you can be in the best shape of anybody in your community, even though it's very valuable to be in good shape. But here's what he says. Godliness has value for all things. For this life and eternity. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Training yourself to be godly, what he's saying is it will add value to every single area of your life. Okay, when I was in college, when I became a Christian, I was still uh, on the edge of athletics. It was almost ending in my life, but I was going to be a coach. And one of the questions people would ask, if I become a Christian, will it make me a better athlete? Here's the answer, absolutely. If I become a Christian, will it make me a better husband? Absolutely. A better wife? Absolutely. A, a, a better student? Absolutely. better church member? <laughs> Strange question, but true. Churches improve when people in the church get saved. You ever notice that? And grow in Christ-likeness? How does it, how does it make you a better athlete, a better, a better student, a better boyfriend, a better girlfriend? It, it, it affects your core. And I'm not talking about your stomach and your back. I'm talking about it, it affects your character. You become different. And it's an ongoing process of, of being more honest, of being more positive, of being more submissive. People who are in love with Jesus Christ, you don't have to drag them around everywhere. They're willing to follow the leader. And by the way, when it's their turn to lead, they're good leaders. It it affects every area of your life. One of the reasons some of us are struggling today in some areas, we're blaming everybody else, but there may be a lack of godliness in us that's producing the problems everywhere else in our world. So how do we become godly? How do, we, how do we exercise ourselves in godliness? Here's your four resolutions I want to throw at you. I'm going to lay them out. It's up to you to do something with it. I, I cannot call you every day as much as I would like to. I cannot tackle you in the, in the foyer. Are you doing? I can't do it. It's going to be up to you. By the way, let me pause and say this. Spiritual growth primarily is up to you. Okay. I'm going to talk about the church in just a second. And the church plays a huge part in it. But if you come to church once or twice a month, even if you come every Sunday morning, and you don't ever come back, and you don't ever pray, and you don't ever read your Bible, we cannot grow you spiritually. Well, isn't that the church's job? Spiritual growth is going to happen when you make a decision that you're going to grow spiritually. We cannot We cannot make you grow spiritually. It's going to be a choice you make. Let's say today you go to Scott's Buffet, Pizza Inn, and you eat. They Scott and four strong men have to carry you out in a wheelbarrow. 
I mean, you bloat, you eat so much. But you don't eat again till next Sunday. One, Scott may not let you back in, but... You know what? By Monday, you're going to be hungry, aren't you? Well, I'll go every Sunday and I will eat at a buffet. You're going to be malnourished. You're going to be hungry midweek. You're going to have problems. Your church cannot raise you completely. You've got to make these choices, okay? And the first one is church. It is church. I want to challenge you to set a goal for yourself to be in church weekly. Well, what if I'm on vacation? Well, okay, give yourself four to six weeks, not four to six months. Four to six weeks. Luke 4, 16 is a great verse. He being Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. That's, that's our version of the church, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Last year, I did a, a, little, a little thing different in my own Bible study. I tried to read in the Gospels almost every day. And, and one thing I, I was just struck with by reading them over and over was that how much of Jesus' life, miracles, and ministries were done around the synagogue and the temple. If Jesus needed to be in church every week, we've got to be too, okay? It's not an option. This is part of the developmental process, okay? Number two is your Bible. Your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, you please see me. I'll be standing at this door over here about 1.30 when we finish today. And, uh, and you were listening a little bit. And, and I'll get you a Bible. We'll get you a Bible today, okay? First, first Peter 2, verse 2 and 3. Listen to these great words. Like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk. Don't, don't chase silly stuff. Don't chase the latest fad. It's pure spiritual milk. So by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Guys, the Bible has 1,189 chapters, Okay? The Old Testament has 929. If you want to read through the Old Testament this year, you better get on it. It You you need to read three chapters a day. It's it's a lot. Many of you, it's time you do that. The New Testament has 260 chapters. You can start today, read one chapter a day, take off Saturday and Sunday the rest of the year because you're so exhausted from reading, And you will read through the New Testament. Every Christian needs to read through the New Testament every year. You need to. And that's part of it being a miracle book because you can read through it a hundred times and it's always alive. I've read read some really good books twice and by the second or third time you're going, yeah, this is getting old. You read the Bible. I've read books in the Bible many, many times and every time it just gets fresher and richer. Now, okay, your church, how many of you have a Bible? You got a Bible? Okay, how many of you have a church, whether it's this church or some church? You got a church, okay? Now, having a Bible and having a church, is that going to help you unless you use them? Is that going to help you unless you use them? No. I have a beautiful treadmill at home. A wonderful treadmill at home. I want to show you a picture of this treadmill. Kyle, that's got to be the wrong picture. It was supposed to be of me uh, burning calories. You know, that's my boxer, Medea. That's not what the treadmill's for, correct? 
And although it does make a good bed for the dog, and believe it or not, I do actually get on that thing uh, to get her off and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> but it's like your Bible. If you use your Bible as a paperweight or, or something to, to look good uh, on, on your, your, you know, in your car or at your work or at home, it's not going to help you. You can sleep with the Bible on your chest every night. You know what you're going to feel? Oh, I slept with the Bible on my chest. And you know what it's going to do for you? Nothing. And you'll probably roll over and slobber on it and ruin it. Uh, you got to get in it. It's like church. You got to plug in it. Well, church didn't help me. Are you plugged into it? Are you are you involved? Get in your Bible. Third prayer, man. You got to talk to God. And some of you are going, oh, preacher, this is so simple. Da, da, da. This is what it's all about. I read a story of a guy this week who lost like a hundred pounds. And they asked him, how did you lose 100 pounds? You know what he said? Is I ate less and I exercised more for a long time. He said, no, I wouldn't know. How did you lose 100 pounds? I ate less than I, than I took in and I exercised for a long time. But that's it, isn't it? I mean, you can take the, the Darbone Beach diet and the, the, uh, the <laughs> Dubok possum diet or whatever it is, but you've got to at some point... <laughs> You've got to outrun your fork, amen? I mean, that's the bottom line. Will Sanders told me one time, you can't outrun the fork, and he is so true. It is a fast little instrument, isn't it? <laughs> Prayer, Luke 18, 1, great verse. Look what it says. Jesus told us as disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Keep praying. Keep hammering away. Pray, pray, pray. You've got to talk to God. You say, well, I don't know how to pray or read my Bible. You'll see one of our ministers after church. We'll give you a little booklet. It's called Time Alone with God. It will lay out a Bible reading plan. It'll, it'll lay out a, a how to pray plan that's wonderful. Let us get one of those to you, okay? And the fourth is the word share. Christianity is a, is a wonderful and very interesting thing is that you want to take in as much as you can, but then you've got to give out. You see, part of the reason some of us are in spiritual ruts, we may not be taking enough in, but we haven't been giving out for a long time. We've been too busy. Well, I've served. I've done this before. And I'm not going. You retire when you die as a Christian. Remember that. And you've got to share. Let me give you things you share. One, you share your faith. You tell other people about Jesus. There's a great little ber- uh, verse in Philippians chapter 6, or Philemon chapter 6, excuse me. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Okay, you've heard that your whole life as a Christian. So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You see, what that verse says is very unique. It's a very deep verse. Is that when you and I share our faith, we not only give other people a chance to respond to Christ, but it in turn blesses us. How many of you have ever witnessed to somebody, and even if they didn't become a Christian at that point, when you left, you felt better? It, it does. It just it, it, it blesses you. Here's the second thing. Share your life. God put you here, he's left you here to share, to serve. In Mark 10, 43, Jesus said, not so with you. He's talking to Christians. Whoever wants to become great must be your servant. You see, we still 2,000 years ago, we think great's about titles, about power, about control. And Jesus said the greatest person is the one who serves. Find a place to serve in your church. Serve around your house. Serve in your community. 
Look for something you can do to make your church and make other people's lives, your families, better. And the last thing I would tell you is share your money. Part of being a Christian is that we give of our money. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you can cut this out right now because we don't want your money. We want you. But if you are a Christian, you need to be tithing to your church. And, and the neat thing about giving, it, you go, well, my tithe's just $5. That doesn't matter. $5, when you're giving what you should and it's $5, means as much to God as $5 million. It really does to God. And when you give as you should, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It blesses you. It blesses you. You know, I mentioned earlier those researchers who, who research New Year's resolutions. One of the other findings they, they said was that in December of this year, if the Mayan calendar is incorrect and we're all still alive on the 31st, only 12% of us will have met our resolutions. In other words, 100 people make resolutions in January. 88 fail to see those things to fruitation. I want to tell you this morning, you can do these four things. You say, well, I'm not even a Christian. You start doing these things. I'll challenge you if you're not a Christian. You start doing those four things. Come to church. Start reading your Bible. Start just trying to talk to God to get to know Him. Start sharing of your life. You'll find Christ for the years over. But I promise you, if you and I will exercise, discipline ourselves to do these things this next year, this time next year, we'll be stronger and we'll be more vibrant and effective in our Christian lives. Choice is ours. Let's pray. This morning, if you're here and you're a, you're a Christian, what's going on in your heart right now? Will you make these four simple commitments that really can change your life? If you're not a Christian, would you pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God and, and that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning and save me. Let me have your attention just for a second. Just a second. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads. And Michael's going to sing and Trey's going to play. And while, while they're doing that, I want you to respond to Christ. Maybe today you asked Christ in your heart when we prayed. Or maybe you're ready to do that. You come in a moment. Get a friend or family member to come with you. Come and, and let one of our ministers help you with the most important decision, the foundation, foundational decision. Maybe today you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that if God's leading you to. You come in just a moment and do that. Christian, every one of us here, we, I, I really believe it, we need to make those four decisions. Maybe it'll be where you're standing or at the altar. Will you say to God, God, this year, I'll do those things. I'm going to put out the effort to be who you've called me to be. 
And Christian, maybe as you look at your life, there's some cracks in the foundation. You have a foundation. You are saved. But there's some junk going on, some bitterness, whatever it is, some wrong stuff. You need to get that right this morning because until that's right, gross impossible. Let's stand. And as God leads you today, you respond to it.